Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner, and BizSimply is the all-in-one HR workforce management rotate operation software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. I remember one young woman said, when we were going around the circle, and she said, what did I ever do to deserve this? You know, I didn't do anything to deserve this kind of hospitality and this kind of love and just sort of this moment of very tearful, emotional experience of overwhelm, but overwhelmed in a good way because these students and all of us are so often tightly wrapped and tightly wound and, and you know, conscious of our image and and especially the young people in their in, in social media and to have this moment of you know just tearful what did i do you know i didn't do anything to deserve this hospitality but it's happening to me and this kind of experience was repeated over and over and that's what we're th- these are the kind of breakthroughs that we're hoping for and we could never plan this if we wanted to because it's real The hospitality that these students are feeling from the farmers in Tanzania is real. It's not manufactured. This isn't some kind of workshop where we orchestrate people feeling a certain way. Uh, This just happens, and it happens because the farmers really do love these students, and they really are wanting them to feel welcome. This week, we welcome back a Maverick. Sean Eskinosi, founder and CEO of Eskinosi Chocolate. And last time he was a guest on the show was in episode 169, where we talked about the why of starting a chocolate business, his book, Meaningful Work, and we dived into the very big question, what is enough? This time, we will go more in depth with the impact work they're doing at Eskinosi Chocolate when it comes to cacao farming communities all over the world. And we'll especially take a deep dive into his recent origin trip to Tanzania. And he will share some great life and business lessons that came from that journey. Also, Sean gives us detailed insight into how to bring projects alive, both at home, in business, in schools, by using the Singerman's vision framework. There's some great learnings here of how this very, very simple approach, which I use myself now, really can be the seed for starting great things in this world. If you like today's episode, it will mean the world to me. If you can leave a review of the show, you can either do that on our website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. As you know, the better the reviews, the better the guests, and ultimately, the better the learning will be for you. This episode, I'm sure, will give you some insights and many ideas on how you can use your business as a force for good. Enjoy. Today we're going to be talking about chocolate 
And we have talked about chocolate here on the show before. And actually, we talked with, with Sean, the, today's guest before, Eskinoshi Chocolate. And the last time he was here and talking about the business and how he got it all started. But I think today we're going to talk about actually why he actually started the business. What is actually the purpose? What is the vehicle of this business? And what kind of change does it seek besides making a healthy business results so it can pay its employees and the supplier and so on what kind of impact is actually doing out in society out in the world but we'll come back to that but welcome to the show sean it's absolutely a pleasure to to have you back and i'm glad that you were you're keen to come back on the show well i'm honored as well so thank you michael for having me i really appreciate this chance to talk with you and and talk more about the story yeah, so so I don't know. We, we should start a bit different, you know. I, I'm I'm sitting here opening one of your okay. your chocolates with the Spencer from Cocoa here in the UK have been so kind to provide me with some chocolates. It's quite difficult to source in the UK, as I've said to you. Um, I have here. What did I have here? I have the Amazonia uh, mm-hmm. chocolate. I see you opening something there as well. Yeah, I have the the Ecuador. The Ecuador, um, yeah, that's yeah, very nice. Seventy percent, nice. and that's that's my wife's favorite, and 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 has been for a very long time. Maybe actually that gives us a bit of a, a segue, and you, you can talk a bit about the, the the chocolate. But actually, the whole thing is that is the story behind the chocolate. And I see you use chocolates to scale a story about some places in the world where things are not fair always, but they absolutely divine, you know, these chocolates and, and, mm. and where you get it from. Thank but you. can you talk a bit about the, you know, the, the ideas behind it? And because I, I am like totally sold on what, what you're trying to do, but maybe people that hasn't heard about it before, but I would advise you to go back and listen to the previous episode. We'll put it in the show notes as well, where they can go a bit of it, but just like top line, why chocolate, Sean, and what is all this about this high quality chocolate you you are creating and, and selling around the world. Well, I was I was a criminal defense lawyer for about 20 years before I started this. So I spent most of my hours either getting ready for the courtroom or in the courtroom. And I specialized in really serious felony cases and um you know, I was ready for a change. I'm sure many of your viewers and listeners can relate to having worked in a career and been really drawn to it and felt as though that was their calling. And then they were ready for something else. And that's what it was for me. I was ready to do something else. I just didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't have any hobbies. I had no dream of doing something else. I just knew that I had to do something else. And it took me about five years and I was still practicing law at the time. Uh, it took me five years to find the thing, you know, to find my next passion because it needed to be something that was exciting for me and that I could really, you know, dive into deeply and and spend another career lifetime working on. And so I settled on chocolate. Why chocolate? I really don't know. I wish I had a a perfect answer for that question, but it just is one of those kind of things that one thing led to another. I started grilling. So I started cooking outdoors. Then I started making chocolate desserts. Then I, you know, was baking. And then I thought, and this is before people were doing bean to bar chocolate. So we were one of the first two or three in the United States to do this 17 years ago now. 
And, you know, so I quit my law practice, bought a building, bought equipment, convinced a factory in Ecuador to let me work there for a while because there weren't seminars and online courses that you could take. People were very secretive about it in Europe. So mm. I knew to go to South America because there was, there was zero chance that a company in Europe, they were going to let me tag along and watch what they were doing. And so, and the, the kind of, so thank you for tasting the chocolate. You know, this, these people on the front, these are real, this is a real person. This is a real farmer. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, her name is Monica. I visited with her in May and she and her husband's farm is amazing and visited with Vitaliano in May as well. And so that's really what this is all about. What this is about is it's about people. It's about relationships and it's about farmers. It's, it is us working directly with farmers in something we call direct trade. And we've done this from the very beginning. So it wasn't kind of an arc of development of direct trade. We started with direct trade. So the very first bean purchase that I ever made, which actually was from this guy, Vitaliano, mm. you know, 17 years ago, we paid them directly. We help them open bank accounts. We help them in all cases. Now all four origins, all of the farmers are their own exporter of record. That's a really big deal because they get to keep more money as opposed to, you know, siphoning it off to middlemen and women. And so, and it's a way for us to work with them on their crops and improve quality. And they have suggestions and ideas that then I can take to other farmers and other places in the world to help them. And so that's what it's about and about sharing our profits with them and sharing, sharing profits in such a way that they understand how we calculate that by, because we open our books to them in their language. And we, when I was in Tanzania a month ago, our financials were in Swahili. Mm. And so that's the way we do it. And that's, that's the, the real, the, the core of this is it's, it's not the core of this is not about the, the bean. It's not about a thing. The core mm. of this is about people. Mm. And it's very interesting when you start looking on, I will advise people to go to your website and you will see, the relationship we have to the farmers then in a digital format. But then what I really wanted to talk about today, and I think if people want to know more, they should listen to the the other episode, but also read your amazing book, Meaningful Work, which is actually about, you know, you finding your, your you know, vocation, you call it. Some people call it their calling. And it is really interesting. You said it's not about a product. It's about the product just gave you an opportunity to, to live out that thing about making positive impact. And that actually comes back to what we talked about, we should talk about today, is these origin trips. You said, you, you could hear, you know, this is Monica. Mm -hmm. And you know these people. You go and visit them and you go and share financials with them. In, in, the, in the normal context of the business world would be totally unheard. You know, we could talk about open book management will be a very big stretch in many companies to open the books to the employees, but you're mm -hmm. opening the books to, in principle, people there is your suppliers in a exactly. way where there normally is this friction point of we are not telling telling the details about, and secrets mm -hmm. about our business and how mm -hmm. well we're doing or how well we are not doing. Mm -hmm. but let me come back to that. 
talk a bit about the vision of your origin trips and what it's all about and you know yeah how many years have you actually been doing this origin trips started for me really i guess the first one would have technically been like in 2005 or 2006 so a long time i've been doing them at every origin every year except during the you know what and and then i resumed travel the first place that i went back to was tanzania which would have been in uh, May of 22. And we have, so this past August, I took my 49th origin trip since I started the company. For some people that may not sound like much, maybe that's no big deal. It, it, it feels like a lot in my body. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these places are not just around the corner from Missouri where my factory is located. For example, in Tanzania, it's over, 50 hours to get where I'm going door to door Philippines is over 40 hours. Thankfully, you know, where I'm going in South America, it's a little bit closer, but these are very, these are trips that I have to really plan for. Not all the time, but most of the time I travel alone and I never check luggage. So I, there's a lot of planning that goes into this, not because of what I'm going to wear, what I'm going to take, but because I'm bringing gifts to the farmers and I'm bringing things that we've made for them. I'm bringing certificates to share awards that we've won for our chocolate with the farmers because without their cocoa beans and without their harvest and struggle, we wouldn't win awards for our chocolate. So I, I'm, I've, you know, a lot of intention and planning goes into these trips. And of course they've changed over the years. Now there's not as much, you know, kind of me teaching farmers how to do things. It's me learning from them how they are doing things and how we can apply that at other places around the world. And it's, it's also now more about just sharing meals with them and just, you know, enjoying each other's company. And in, in the case of Tanzania and the Philippines, it's about, it's about community development and partnership and community development. And by that, I mean, when, when I was in the Philippines in January, we started our sixth school lunch program where we're feeding children who are malnourished. And in, in this case, it was a kindergarten and it just kind of came up, but it came up during that trip. If I hadn't been traveling there, I wouldn't have known about it. I wouldn't have known about these little kindergartners that weren't getting enough food. Mm. So I think that, yeah, that kind of answers the question. I hope, you know, that's, that's really what this is about. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as when we were, we were reconnecting and I think actually we reconnected because I asked you to send me a question to ask Ari in an interview. And then you were very kind to share your travel lodge of your trip to Tanzania where you didn't go alone this time. And right. I think that's really interesting. And there's lots, and we're going to talk a bit about what happened on that trip to, to, to maybe make it a bit more practical. What exactly you are doing on these trips and, and how is that actually changing the, the local communities where the farmers live in? Mm -hmm. So, so you took some students with you this time, mm -hmm. yeah. a group of select students talk a bit about why you did that. And, you know, what was the vision of taking students from Missouri to, to Tanzania? Well, thanks for asking about this. This we've done this program now for 13 years. We started our first one taking students from Missouri to Tanzania in 2010 as part of our chocolate university program, where we engage young people 
around our neighborhood and in our community about our business. So we engage them. And the idea is to inspire them that uh, small business can be a force for good in the world. And secondly, that there's a world beyond their own. And so this is a really, this, we, we have an elementary school program, middle school program, summer school program, all, and I should mention as a side note, we only have 20 full-time employees in the company and we have one part-time executive director for our foundation, the Chocolate University Foundation. So there's a, a lot of plates spinning with few people managing it all, but back to the Chocolate University. So it's competitive. People apply to be part of this program, juniors and seniors in high school. So these are 17, 18 year old um, students and they go through an interview process. Um, they have a registration fee, which is $500 uh, if they're selected. And then we pay the rest, which is not a small amount of money. It's almost $6,000 per student to be part of this program. And we raise that money um, from donors. And so this is, I would say for me, maybe the most gratifying part of my business and taking these students is an opportunity to just stand back and watch heart transformation in a way that I, it's like, I'm, I'm essentially giving myself a front row seat to observe this transformation, not in every student, but in many students who, th who think that they're, you know, these are very high achieving students who, you know, have really great grades and they're involved in all these extracurricular activities. And many, some of them have never traveled. Some have never even been on a plane. <laughs> and, but may, may, some of them may want to go into business, some to be doctors or lawyers or whatever, but it, we, we can't really prepare them for just how deeply this experience will move them. And for me, it's just more than anything for me to set the stage and then stand back and watch. And then I keep in touch with the students. I'm still in touch with a student that I talk to every time I'm in Austin, where we are frequently, who traveled with me in 2012. Now he's an executive, a senior executive with TikTok. And, you know, so I, I still, I'm, I'm still in touch with students from 2010. And so it's just a way for me to keep up with their lives and, and see this transformation over time because of this one little experience. So what is like your vision, Sean, for, for these students? Because I get a very good feel when I read the, the, the report that you shared with me about what the experience is. And I could imagine they've got like a huge cultural shock in a positive way mm -hmm. when they come to Tanzania or wherever you take them. And I guess also they make, it make them reflect on, on themselves. But can you talk a bit about like, you know, why is this so important? Like what, what is it that you hope to see? Because I guess you don't expect something to happen tomorrow, but I, I guess it's a long, long view kind of thing. The, the hope is that the, the students who have this opportunity will use this as a catalyst. So that's really, in a nutshell, the best word that describes the hope that we have for the students who participate in this program is that the experience will be catalytic to their personal and professional lives and just who they are as humans and how they interact with the world around them, both, you know, just in their families and neighborhoods and in the wider world. And over 
time in over 13 years, you know, I've, I've seen it. I've, I've seen it happen. And we have students who say, you know, 10, 12 years later that this experience still impacts their lives and informs their career and choices that they made for school. And so that's, that's what we're hoping for. That's, that's, and it's happening. Now you, some would say, well, gosh, that's a pretty small scale. I mean, you've probably only, I think we've taken maybe under a hundred students on this trip over these years. So maybe around a hundred or 90 or so. And, and, but that's okay because I'm, I'm, I'm not going for scale here. I'm, I'm going for, you know, one student at a time who then will have, it'll, it will impact them. And then who knows what ideas they might have later, how they might be inspired to impact students or others when I'm not here anymore. And then it's a, a sort of domino effect of how we can live in the world and do business in a way that's not reminiscent of old school capitalism. So in principle, you are hoping you're creating, you know, business leaders will create business as a force for good or whatever they're going to go and do. That's where it's not just benefiting, you know, the business or the organization It's actually something where the world becomes a better place. And you hope that their experience that we go and talk with to other people about. So you have these rings to slowly start to happen. Like if you were throwing a rock, right. Way, one rock in the, in the water. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And knowing that I may not even be around for much of it, you know, but that's, that's the idea. <clears throat> Can you talk a bit about Sean, the relationship you have with these local communities, especially the farmers and, and how they work in a way, because you started out with talking to the actually we, we, we help them open bank accounts, you know, it's, it sounds totally unplausible in, 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 in the investor philosophy of business that actually you have, because you want to buy something from them, but you have to help them. With all these things but, but talk a bit about these relationship and, and we'll come down to a very specific example you had in, in in the report you shared with me as well or the travel lot it's not a report where you talk about mr livingstone and i think that's a really good example of it but but talk a bit maybe the, the overall relationships you have with them as as you as an individual but also maybe as an organization yeah if i could before i answer that question could i just go back to the students and relate one yeah. other thing I, I i wanted to make sure that i covered that the best example for these students that i can think of is when we debrief every night we do that in a circle at our hotel and and we ask the students to relate sort of their experience of the day, things maybe that they heard or smelled or touched just in a way that their senses were engaged and how it affected them. And by, you know, the second or third day, the students are really opening up in a way that they weren't expecting themselves to kind of surprising themselves, especially in front of their peers. And I remember one young woman said when we were going around the circle and she said, what did I ever do to deserve this? You know, I didn't do anything to deserve this kind of hospitality and this kind of love. Mm. So what, you know, in just sort of this moment of very tearful, emotional experience of overwhelm 
but overwhelmed in a good way because these students and all of us are so often tightly wrapped and tightly wound and, and, you know, conscious of our image and, and especially the young people in their, in, in social media and to have this moment of, you know, just tearful, what did I do? You know, I didn't do anything to deserve this hospitality, but it's happening to me. And this kind of experience was repeated over and over. And that's what we're, th these are the kind of breakthroughs that we're hoping for. And we could never plan this if we wanted to, because it's real. The hospitality that these students are feeling from the farmers in Tanzania is real. It's not manufactured. Um, this isn't some kind of workshop where we orchestrate people um, feeling a certain way. Uh, this just happens. And it happens because they really, the farmers really do love these students and they really are wanting them to feel welcome. And they do. And I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that because I think it's an important part of, it's an important part of this. And if I could also say too, you were asking why. Yes, it's true. I'm hoping to build business leaders and not just, but maybe teachers. Uh, we have many students who become mm -hmm. elementary school teachers or whatever, but, but it's also an experience for me. And even though I've done this a lot, you know, this, I'm not new at this. I am always ready for the moment when it happens. And by that, I mean, I'm ready to be surprised. That probably doesn't make sense, but I know I'm going to be surprised. I know I, as a, just me as a person, not a CEO, not a founder, nothing, just as a person, I know that I'm, I'm, I know that it's, uh, there will be, um, a kind of lifting of the veil. The clouds will begin to diminish knowing, you know, that the light is always there, but in my, my, in my view, you know, sometimes I let the clouds get in the way, but these experiences of the one I like the ones I'm describing are, they're just, it's, it's also a chance for me, you know, just for me to, as an observer to say, wow, this is happening for these students. And I see this happening with the farmers. And even though I've done this for many years, it's, you know, the anchor point for all of it, for everything. It's very interesting. You also talk about, you know, because you can also see in the, the, the travel lot you, you shared with me that these people are extremely excited about this visit. I'm talking about the farmers, the mm -hmm. local communities. And you can feel the way you write about it, that it's, it, it's, it's a new experience every time. And, you know, and these people, they don't have a lot of means. So it's not like a luxury hotel. And you also said, like, when we go back to our hotel, kind of way and it must be incredible that actually because lots of western people we think hospitality is about you know lots of wow beautiful things expensive things but hospitality actually is that what you can make other people feel and it's, yes. i think it's a very powerful example you gave for that student that actually you ask yourself i am actually worthy to be treated like this yeah, you know? yeah. and i think i think that that's that's really powerful hospitality in a way yes 
And thank you for mentioning that because the you're right. The farmers don't have means by the way, or the way in which we measure that kind of thing, but they have so much that we don't have that the students, you know, find, well, I want them to struggle with this mystery, you know, that you just described this mystery of kind of a juxtaposition of seemingly having so little yet having on the other hand, so much joy. And so this is a very unique experience for young people. You know, it's not, they're not going on a mission trip. It's not, you know, study abroad program. And I'm not saying that, that, that these experiences can't happen in, in, in those circumstances as well. I'm just saying that this is very, very unique because they're there to sort of see a business trip. That's what this is. I'm going to buy cocoa beans and check on community development projects that we partner with them on, but yet they can have these mysterious experiences that will last a long time. What about when you, you, you mentioned, mentioned that, you know, you're taking them on a business trip where you have, you know, coming back to my question before about the mm -hmm. relationship with these people, because it feels like a very unique relationship and you know we already talked about you had them on on the chocolate you know they're very mm -hmm. clear front of center of the product as well it's not about they actually take up more space on the on the general packaging than many things else that is the story what kind of relationship do you have and i mentioned mr livingstone before because it feels like as i read this there's a very special relationship in mr livingstone as an example of a mm -hmm. A farmer you build you build a relationship with over the years or your business yeah. app yeah mr livingston is an elder in the village and his wife is mama in pokey and she is the leader of the cooperative mm. and has been for many years and interestingly the the tribe that they are part of in rural tanzania is called nyakusa and there, it's a huge tribe and cultural influence in Tanzania, in especially rural Tanzania, and so they have their own language and and it is a a matrilineal <clears throat> culture, and so not surprising that a woman would be leading the cooperative. But her husband is someone that I've grown close to over the years, and I've been visiting this place, you know, with these farmers now for thirteen years. And one time when we were getting ready to come back to Missouri, we always have a big celebration with the farmers on the beach of Lake Nyasa or Lake Malawi, depending on which country you're in. It's a huge mm -hmm. lake in Africa and it's yeah. where we, it's where we stay. And it's, you know, five minutes from the farms, but we have a big party there. And he took me aside and he wanted me to have, actually, I keep it. I, I, I didn't know you were going to ask about this, but I literally keep it within arm's length, but he wanted me to have this bracelet. Mm -hmm. That was given to him by his father, which was given to him by his father. So this was his grandfather's bracelet wow. and probably his most treasured possession. And he wanted me to have it as a symbol of our friendship. And at that moment, it all sort of came to me that the farmers do care about the 
relationships that we're building. Not and, and by the way, this is not, I'm not saying that every single origin and every trip and everything is like this, but I am saying there are the, these opportunities for unique um, moments and relationships like this. So the next year when I went back, I went to my safe deposit box and took out my grandfather's pocket watch that was one of my most treasured possessions. And I had it restored and I brought it to him and gave it to him. And so over the years, you know, I bring him little trinkets and little gifts and we share things. So one year, two years ago, I brought him some of my favorite snacks. And so I brought him some good and plenty candy and I, I brought him some sardines because I love sardines and, and he loved them too. And this year I brought him some beef jerky. And so we just, I visit him in his home every time I'm there. And about four years ago, when I was in his home and other farmers were there, they were wanting me to explain what the idea of nursing homes are, you know, long-term care facilities mm. for old people. And they didn't understand it. They didn't, they didn't, they couldn't grasp this idea because in their village, their parents are in the next little house over or hut over and the grandchildren are in the next hut over there and everybody's together and they don't have nursing homes there. And so as I was trying to explain it and everything at the end of the conversation, they said, well, when it's that time for you, we want you to come here to Tanzania and we want to take care of you. Wow. And, and they, yeah. And they meant that. And I've never forgotten that. And I've told them, I was like, well, who will buy your cocoa beans if I'm in a nursing home? <laughs> and they, they said they didn't care, you know, that they just wanted to be able to. And so now the thing is, I've done this for so long, you know, and I've like this guy, Vitaliano, last mm. week, he asked me for an advance payment which he does all the time. And he's done this for six. I mean, we always pay in advance. We have contracts. Sometimes, you know, these are like 0% interest loans because we're giving them money on the contract way in advance of receipt. So I'm now paying him for beans that I won't get until next June. Mm. And it's what September. And I've, I started paying on, on it in August. And so he asked me for an advance payment uh, from the January payment because his son was ill in the Amazon and he needed to go see him and help him because he was very sick. So we sent that payment. But what I'm, the reason I'm saying that is because um, it's one thing to go visit a farm one time and you know, you're a chocolate maker and you go see, and maybe you buy the beans from a broker but the broker takes you to the farm and says, this is where they're from. And I'm not disputing that. I'm sure it is from that farm. And okay, that's fine. Or maybe you go back two or three times. But like I said, I've done this 49 times. In January, when mm -hmm. I go to the Philippines, it'll be my 50th or origin trip. And so the, what I'm trying to say is that it's, this, this is a dynamic situation. It's not static. And it's not as if I'm ordering some, you know, off the shelf commodity that I know is always going to be there and it's always going to be the same and it's not subject to weather or climate or, you know, or any of it. And so I have to be prepared for things to always be changing. 
and to sort of expect the unexpected when it comes to just straight up business, you know? And this, I would say, is one of the things that is challenging about entrepreneurship at this level, you know, because it's not, it, you can't rely on it to be the same. And I have enjoyed that part of it. And so they depend on me and I depend on them in a true partnership form. And so there's a lot of, and, and, and when you have a long-term relationship like that, there will be challenges to it, but you just work through them. You work through them transparently. And look, when I, when you, when you give your financial statements to somebody for 15 years and you, you know, you build a certain level of trust and that is really, there's almost no, there, there are very few ways that you could have that kind of a, a deep trust relationship without that kind of transparency or that kind of care. And so, for example, you know, during COVID, especially from Vitaliano, we got the best beans that we'd ever received in, you know, over a decade. And that was a surprise to me. I mean, it's not like I felt like I had to be there every single time to look at the beans before they went on the container. I do that a lot of the time, but they care about us. They care about my family and my company. And so they just wanted to make sure that they, you know, double, triple, quadruple checked that these were of super high quality and they were. So that's the kind of, you know, business and personal relationship that is going on here and it feels very again like very counterintuitive like from normal business thinking you know paying advance is it's it's a you know in itself something that will make many business people almost see them there'll be some kind of switch going off in their heads and it's <laughs> not possible but it seems also they're very, you know, I think it's really interesting when you have such a deep relationship with somebody, they actually tell you what's going on in their life. And actually, in principle, that's that's the kind of relationship you want with anyone you work with. They actually, they share what's going on because then you better understand why certain things are as they are. And you might right. able to be in position to help better. Right. And I think that takes a lot of trust building to do that. And that, that probably comes to the next thing, which you, you mentioned sharing your financials in a way and you work with these cooperatives and these farmers and there's a very good example you sent the, to me at a was indeed the travel lodge where you talk about the profit sharing meeting where you in principle talk business where you meet all the farmers as i understand from from that area you work with and you i guess it's negotiating about you know, you're evaluating and negotiating the, you know, what's gone well, but also what, what do we need to change as we go forward? Can you talk a bit about that and what that's all about? And you talked about before you, you translated into their local language even. Yes, we, we bring the financials and now I've, I've reached a place where I don't carry all that cash with me. I, it's too much money for me to carry. It's, that would not be safe. But um, so we wire some of the money and some of the money I bring with me. This is these kind of the profit share meetings at that, at the actual profit share meeting itself, there is no negotiation. It's, it's kind of a celebration of here's, here's what we've done. And here's the money that we owe you on the profit share. And 
So negotiations are usually had, you know, in some other forum, you know, before the meeting, maybe the day before or whatever. But throughout the the origin trip itself, we will have discussions about what's, you know, going well, where we need to improve. And it could be little things like, you know, how the bags are tied at the top, you know, how they're stored, um, checking moisture content, mm. all that kind of thing. Concern about will they be able to meet the order when they had said that they were going to meet it and maybe it's okay. We have some leeway and we don't, or maybe we're about to run out. And those are the kind of back and forth discussions that we have. And it just so happened in this case, you know, they were going to be late and it had to do with the weather. Mm. And, and so it was okay because we have a, a good supply of their beans uh, in stock. And the fact that they were going to be almost 60 days late is fine. And so, but those actual discussions are just kind of ongoing during the origin trip itself. But for, for the profit share meeting, it's really a celebration. And, and then of course, usually it's preceded by a chocolate tasting. And so mm. we, bring, we, we bring, we bring chocolate. So like I was saying, like when I'm going by myself and all I have is one, you know, carry on, I mean, I'm, I'm bringing chocolate and gifts and, and all that kind of stuff. And so we bring chocolate from that's made from their beans so they can taste it. And we bring different chocolate that we make with their beans. We also bring chocolate from other origins so they can kind of compare and contrast and see, you know, and of course, uniformly, they prefer their chocolate over the, the other origin, but it's a fun experience. And now year, year, years and years of tasting chocolate, you know, they enjoy it. It's a fun part of the process. And, of course, there's also a quality aspect to it because, you know, I mean, I want them to know what the finished product is mm. hopefully going to taste like. And so it's not uncommon for me to roast beans over, a, you know, an open fire, a campfire, which I did when I was there in August, just to unlock the kind of aroma of the cocoa bean at that stage and taste, you know, the beans, which will give us some indication of what the chocolate will taste like. So, yeah, we're, we're doing all of that while we're there. And the, I wanted to, because like many people said, what is this profit sharing about? Like if you have to visualize in, in some few words, what exactly means, and I guess you can also guide people to your website because again, it's, it's, it's quite unheard. You have your financials in principle on the website. You can go and see what each farmer is paid and mm -hmm. what what you have bought from them over the years you're going back. But can, can you talk a little bit about that? And then of course we'll, we'll in the, in the show notes, we will guide people to the, to the place where to look on the website, but again, a bit more so people get a bit of a, a visual of what's actually shared. Thank you. The, the, on the website, people can go to the transparency report, which is audited um, every year. And it's not a fancy graphic or anything. It's just, it's a spreadsheet. People can look and draw their own conclusions. And uh, we list what we've paid, what we pay farmers and what the world market price is and what the fair trade price is. And uh, even though I don't believe in fair trade, but it's still a benchmark. And so what it looks like is we're, you know, they're around in a group. And in this case, in Tanzania, there's, you know, 40 plus farmers there and they receive a copy of our, consolidated financials in Swahili. And then we go over it line by line, what those, what those lines mean and what those numbers mean. And then 
there is a kind of calculation, if you will, to what the profit share amount is for that year. And then we hand over that money to them. And it's important that th th this is a very important um, part of the process because especially in a cooperative, even a small one like that, they have leadership. And it's important that this be done publicly because we are not paternalistic in the standpoint of saying that this is what they should do with the money. They can do whatever they want with the money. And we've always been that way. We don't say you need to distribute it among your members. You need to keep it. You need to reinvent. It's totally up to them what they do with it. And, but it's important that it be done publicly. So there's never any question what the amount was that it was all received. So I don't take any of that for granted and we, we, these profit share meetings for the most part have not changed in 17 years. And it's, it's, so I don't take any of it for granted and I don't take shortcuts because I, I just, I know, you know, I've learned that to just don't take stuff for granted, any of it. Don't take the relationship for granted. Don't think that it's all going to work out. It's all going to be fine. You're paying them a lot of money. It's more money than they would get from somebody else. So you can take a shortcut. We just, we don't do that. That's just not the way we think. And so that's, that's what it looks like. What if you should like, how do they perceive that thing that you, you come traveling over there, you done all the work of translating it into their local language and you share that with them and they get they get money in principle mm -hmm. with principle for them they be, get quite delighted about because it means you know whatever they get even if in 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 western terms that would be a small amount have huge huge impact on their on their life do you see them then also get more responsible about how they use even though you don't tell them how to use the money do you see they reinvest that into the communities do they do things for their families they would normally not have done you know, the best example I can think of is the farmers in Tanzania. We facilitated a vision of greatness for them uh, almost 10 years ago. Next year will be 10 years. After 2024 will be 10 years. So they did a 10-year vision of greatness that started in 2014. Of mm. course, parenthetically, I learned, I didn't even know what a vision of greatness was until my mentor and great friend, Ari Weinzweig, you know, taught me what a vision of greatness is, both by his workshops and seminars that I've taken in Ann Arbor and by reading his books and by just talking with him. But we decided to do this with the farmers. And we did this in Tanzania and they had a nine point vision of greatness. I could talk for a whole hour about how we do that, how we facilitated that. And it's it's we had to do it differently because it's not a culture that writes down, but it's an oral culture. So we had to do all of this speaking and yeah. which was very cool. But I will also tell you, we're in the process of facilitating the next 10 year vision of greatness, which yeah. I wrote about in my travel log. But so this is a very long answer to your question. But, but so one of the points in their vision of greatness was for their farmer member families to have um, better housing. And, 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 and so before we started this vision of greatness, the farmers almost uniformly were in what you would call a mud and straw hut. 
Okay. So think, you know, dirt floor, straw and mud, both in, for the walls and the roof. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying all of them, but many of them. Yeah. And one of the things that they are most proud of in the last 10 years is that all of their farmers now have roofs that are real, not mud and straw and walls that are not mud and straw. And so they, they are, they celebrate this idea that they, that over the last 10 years, they've been able to accomplish this for the farmer families that are part of this cooperative and they credit the business relationship they have with us and the profit sharing for them to be able to accomplish that. And, you know, I don't go around saying that our little company of 20 people is changing the world. And I'm not so foolish to think, I mean, we don't even move the needle. I mean, we buy whatever 40 ish metric tons of cocoa beans a year, you know, 40 tons. And this isn't moving the needle, but it is for these people, for these, for this small group of people on the planet, it is. And for one or two other farmers or a handful of other farmers in these other countries, yeah, it's moving the needle for them. And so that I can say, but they, the best example I can think of an answer to your question is that now these farmers have better homes and a roof that will protect them and their families from weather and other calamities. So that's one example of what they're doing with the money. And that's incredible, you know, transformation. Actually, and that connects really well to something else. You, you mentioned Ari and, and the vision work. And you've done some incredible work with the, the, the structure around visioning a better world or a better future for, for the individuals and, and actually having these long-term vision statements. Can you talk a bit about that work you also have brought into these communities, not only in Tanzania, but where you go and maybe bring in some of the incredible work that's done around students here as well in, in, in these communities? In 2012, we formally founded and started funding and managing a program called Empower Girls in Tanzania. It's an after-school program to teach girls that life skills and that they are worth something, that they are not property, that they can say no, and that they can further their education. And we founded it based on a sister or affiliate organization in the northern part of the country, also Empower Girls. And then four years later, we started Enlightened Boys because there was no reason that the girls should have a program and the boys shouldn't have a program to understand why it's important to have a girls program. And so now all these years later, we've had close to 9,000 young people graduate from this after-school program um, that we staff with teachers, volunteer teachers that we pay. So I guess that would not make them volunteers, but they, they pay, we give them a stipend. And then we have a uh, um, a young woman that lives in the village. She's Tanzanian, also a graduate of Empower Girls, who's lived there, uh, I think now seven years. And um, so we've had over 6,000 of these young people write their own three-year vision of greatness. This wow. all started because of Ari. And we were there, um, we had already facilitated the farmer vision. And then the following year, Lauren, my daughter, who is our chief marketing officer and co-author in the book with me that you showed a moment ago and 
and um, a co-owner in the company. We were there and they wanted us to go into a middle school and start the visioning process in a middle school classroom. And I was very intimidated by that because I, I, I had never even, I had never even facilitated a vision for middle school in the United States or anywhere, let alone rural Tanzania. And so I called Ari from Tanzania and asked him what I should do. Then I was kind of freaked out by it. That doesn't happen to me very often. And he said that he kind of calmed me down and he said, what you need to do and the question that you need to ask these students, these young students, middle school students is, have you ever imagined something in the future and then it happened the way you imagined it? And I was like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> I, that's pretty simple. I can do that. And I, I, you know, and so after he sort of coached us through that from a distance, we did it. So the next day we did it. We started with the, I'll, I'll never forget the two um, young women that, that, that volunteered did, to do this were Upendo and Maria and uh, Upendo means love in Swahili. And they mm. both were at the front of the classroom, it was a struggle, you know, to really get this started. It wasn't easy, but they did it and they answered that question. And that inspired us to then teach our Chocolate University American students how to do this visioning process, sort of a train the trainer. We went back the following year and our students then trained 400 other middle school students how to write their vision of greatness. And now it's, it's grown to 6,000 young people, more than 6,000 who have written their vision of greatness to the point that when we were there at the graduation ceremony in August, our students, the American students were able to see these high school students in Tanzania who had written their own vision of greatness and they depicted it in pictures on a poster board and, and at the graduation ceremony and, you know, one of them in particular, I remember who she said that she wanted to be a judge in the future. She wants to be a judge. So be a lawyer and a judge. This is, these are students who weren't thinking about tomorrow, you know, and now they're thinking about their futures and, and it's amazing the kind of possibilities that are available if we will allow ourselves not so much to dream but to, to contemplate a great future for ourselves and what it looks like in detail. And that's what Ari teaches. And so without Ari, you know, there are, you know, 6,000 young people in rural Tanzania who would not know what it means to have a vision for their future. And so I will be forever grateful to him for that work and for inspiring us to be part of it and just allowing us to, you know, be part of that process is really quite amazing. And as you said, this is an extremely powerful exercise. And actually the, the simplification you just gave of that exercise, if you could get every employee to start saying, your business out there or the existing one to answer that question that will something magically will happen i know that i've seen it myself when you bring people around these questions and work on it but it is hard in the beginning it's it's, it's quiet because suddenly also you have to be quite 
granular about that future you see in 10 years time, 20 years time, 30 years time. And, and, and then you go on, on Singerman's website and, and, and read more about visioning and, and stuff like that. There's lots of it. And Ari's also been on the show listening to that. We'll put that in the show notes as well, talking about how actually this is actually the way to start everything you do, every project, every day, everything you do. What is the shared vision you're going to have around this? Because it's going to be much easier to deal with the obstacles and the conflicts on the way when you have a shared goal yeah. that's yeah, very I, detailed described yeah i i you know i think i think that ari is one of the greatest business leaders in the world today and i look i read a lot of business books and about a lot of people but he inhabits this in a way that he's not just writing about it or you know sort of pontificating from on high he's actually mm. doing it and he has yeah. done it and I, I wish more people had access and knew about his writing and his work because it talk about changing the world. I mean, that's hmm. his, his, his work I think is truly inspiring. I can, I can only agree. And then people are listening to the show here. I've heard how I shout about him in, in, in many ways and, and the team at Singerman. So of mm -hmm. course he's, he's not an, a lone army, but he, yes. he does it together with this incredible team of more than 500 people they built mm -hmm. this incredible thing but coming back to to you i just want to have a couple of core questions before we round up like mm -hmm. you know i just want to bring back to you know a forefront of people out there you know what have this actually all the things we've been talking about Sean, what have they actually to do with running a chocolate business one of the things that we say is it's not about the chocolate it's about the chocolate and hopefully your viewers and listeners well, if they've listened to this past hour, won't be confounded by that at all. But if we would have said that in the beginning, they'd be like, what? That sounds like a Zen, you know, koan or something. And, and I guess in some ways it is, but so all of this stuff that we've been talking about vision of greatness for the farmers and visions for these vision of greatness for these young people and houses and education and feeding children in the Philippines, it has nothing to do with chocolate. Yet, it has everything to do with chocolate. Khalil Gibran, poet, philosopher, said that, I'm, I want to make sure I get this right because it's, it's important. If you bake a bread with indifference, you feed but half man's hunger. Mm -hmm. And so this is very important because the product that we make or the service that we provide is inseparable from who we are. And that's what that means. You, you can't, I don't care if you sell tires or insurance or accounting or chocolate bars, you can't separate that resulting product or service from who you are as a person. And so all of these things that we're talking about relate to who we are as a company and the soul of our company, Askenasi Chocolate. So that's why I say, you know, I want, I want this, I want this chocolate bar to be the best tasting chocolate bar that you've ever tried. I want it to be of such high quality that it's, you think to yourself, it can't be better tasting than this. There's nothing they could do to have a better crop, a better flavor, better texture. I love it. And I don't want you to buy it because 
you think, oh, what a cool story. You know, that's nice that he's feeding kids. No, I want you to buy it because it's awesome. And you want to share it with your friends because of how awesome it is. And if you are inspired by the story, great. Maybe that will, you know, be just icing on the cake. And that's, I'm just saying that's just who we are. And it goes into this chocolate bar that you make. Someone else could have our recipe. They could have our beans. They could have our equipment. And I, they could be down the street from me. But it wouldn't be the same chocolate bar. It just wouldn't. And I believe that. And not in a sort of new age woo-woo kind of way, but in a real way. And, and so that's, that's why, yes, it doesn't have anything to do with chocolate. But yeah, it does. It has everything to do with it. What are you most excited about right now? Well, today we're releasing a new product. Um, I'm excited yeah. about that. And mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's a 65% Zamora bar. So it's, it's the bar that you held up a version of that. And it's a lower, a lower cocoa content, but it has Tanzania nibs on the back. It's a crunchy bar and mm. we're super excited about this. I, I've been tasting variations of this now for about six months and uh, we're releasing it literally today. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited about, you know, I'm starting the fourth quarter and I'm, you know, we're a seasonal business and I'm, I'm really excited about having a good fourth quarter and, and, you know, just being financially healthy. This has been a very challenging time for many people, economically businesses and people and especially small business. And so, you know, that is not lost on me and, and, and yes, I'm ex- and I'm excited. I, it's been a challenge financially, but you know we're a very conservative company. We basically operate out of cash flow and always have. And so, it's exciting as an entrepreneur to you know navigate my way to financial health. Uh, we are financially healthy, but to maintain that in a challenging economy is can be exciting. And so, I'm looking forward to the fourth quarter and these new products and you know, just the new year. I'm looking forward to to taste that one because I think you have another one with a similar kind of one where you had some flakes in, integrated as well. I've tasted some point. I can't remember which mm-hmm. one. You probably know mm-hmm. which one it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was, that, was, that was a delight. So yeah, better watch out for that mm-hmm. out there, guys. Yeah. What is the one thing you wish I've asked you, Sean, that I didn't ask you and what would it be? And Well, I, I wished that we would have had time to talk about the problem of the use of enslaved children in the cocoa mm. supply chain in West Africa. Um, yeah. and, and everyone on both sides, and by both sides, I mean big chocolate companies like Mars, Hershey's, Barry Calibo, others admit that there are approximately 1.58 million children in Ghana and Ivory Coast that are in the supply chain right now, about 80% of whom are involved in what is defined as the worst forms of child labor. So that is, you know, eight-year-olds carrying a machete or a 10-year-old with a fertilizer backpack. And, you know, meanwhile, all the big chocolate companies are are bragging about these social programs that they trot out and how they're building clinics and schools. Meanwhile, they're keeping their boots on the necks of cocoa farmers and and continuing to use enslaved children and it's inhumane it's wrong and we are doing everything we can as uh, advocates and activists to have a voice about 
companies eliminating this from the supply chain. And as a lawyer, I am involved in a variety of projects that will hopefully maybe move the needle, I hope, in the coming two or three years about this problem, which very much exists. And there's a reason why that chocolate bar, you know, at the drugstore or at the gas station counter is the same size as my chocolate bar, but costs $2. There's a reason for that. And people, I hope, will become even more sophisticated in seeing through this social washing by these big companies who claim to do good, but yet at the same time are, are, are using children in ways that are unacceptable and immoral. Yeah, and I think you say it really well in, in the project and what's called my purpose as well is changing the world by changing the way we eat and like our food choices really matter. It doesn't mean it has to be expensive. You might be need to prioritize sometimes, yeah. especially when it comes to example. Chocolate is a very right. good example, as you, right. you were talking about here. There is consequences way down in the supply chain. Every time you you are buying, wouldn't call it the wrong thing because that's patronizing to people, but yeah. the unconscious right. choice, the right. unmindful yeah. choice in a yeah. way. So I think that was a really, really good one. Sean, I haven't thought about that in, in the preparation, but this is like really why you do it as well. Yeah. Part of going on the, on the trips and the things you can do in your, the, the local community, it's like really the bigger picture here of slavery, child mm-hmm. labor mm-hmm. in a way, which we probably feel very far removed from when we live in the Western world. And that was one of the shocking things I saw when I traveled some African country as well was actually the right children have are mm-hmm. very, very poor. Yes. Where can people find out more about all the great work you do and, you know, and also, you know, the projects you're involved in, where's the best place to go? We mentioned the website, of course, of that as other places they, they should be. Maybe if they want to connect with you, talk with you, hear more about your, your work. Yes, of course, the website, askanosi.com, and they can follow us on social media. We're easy to find on, you know, Facebook and Instagram and, others. So just searching Askenosi chocolate for me, probably the best way for people to find me is on LinkedIn, just Sean Askenosi. And, and that's one of the best ways or hello at seanaskenosi.com. And I try to answer those emails and people can just email me directly there. Great. Great. Thank you so much for, for coming on the, on the show again, Sean. And, um, we send you and the team, the farmers, the communities, all the power and energy you need to uh, get through the fourth quarter. That seems very important, but also for the next coming period. Mm. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's been great talking with you. And thank you for your work. I, I very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. I really appreciate that you're listening. In. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others rate it or give it a review or subscribe to one of our channels for all to be done via the website hospitalitymavericks.com I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader so I've helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here in the show and myself over the years find it on Hospitality Mavericks website hospitalitymavericks.com under the reading a big thank you to BizTemply for supporting us bringing great insights, strategies, and tools to help leaders to become better 
every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com or on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at BizSimply.com. If you have any ideas, feedback, show, or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymaverick.com. I'm Michael Tinkser, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be Maverick!